Everybody and welcome to the 334th episode of MTG Fast Finance, your loving legends that never got lost in the warehouse. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. I'm glad to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing valuable information with all of you. This show, is, as always, is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com. Save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what is on the agenda this week, this lovely summer eve? Well, uh, we're going to start off with a couple of sweet uh, sets of results from challenges over the weekend. Then we're going to jump into the top movers in paper and then online. Segment three has our cards to watch with uh, some fun picks that uh, we're going to argue about some. And finally, we're going to talk about uh, the inclusions and uh, leave-outs. I'm not sure what a good word would be. Exclusions uh, for Dominaria United the Lost Legends. Yeah, Wizards uh, announced that they're dumping a bunch of original Legends packs into that set, so need to go over some of the details there uh, as a follow-up to our discussion last week. Kicking things off, we've got the MTGO Metagame Week in Review. We'll first look at the Modern Showcase Challenge from this past Saturday, July 23rd, 2022. Nothing too crazy going on here. We've got Living End finishing first, running three copies of Subtlety, Blue-Red Murktide in second, fourth, and fifth. The fourth and fifth place list both had a total of seven Ledger Shredders. We've got Amulet Titan finishing in third. We've got four-color Omnath, kind of a one of the more classical builds of, of that list, in sixth. And then Grixis Shadow showing up again, also with four times Ledger Shredder. So a total of 15 Ledger Shredders in this top eight is fairly impressive. And Charbelcher was the rogue deck coming in eighth. I always like a good Charbelcher deck. It's especially fun to play. Now that uh, you can play all the different um, double face cards that are a land on the backside, because it only looks at cards on the front side. So as soon as you get to your mana, you're just going to go bang, bang, here we go. And it's a, a fun card to look at, a fun deck to look at for the, um, the listing too, because there's literally no lands listed. It's just all these different um, flip lands like Balagad Recovery right, right, right. Uh, and Miria's Call. All the ZNR lands. Yeah. And then you do the, the fun stuff like uh, Iron Crag Feet once you get to four mana and you just go to town. It's so fun. Over in the Pioneer Showcase Challenge on the Sunday, July 24th, things were a little more interesting. The black-red mid-range deck that is kind of defines that format right now finished in first. No huge surprise there. But the second place li list was a newcomer, as far as I know. Abzan Greasefang. We have, of course, seen... Grease Fang list before in Pioneer, 
but this is a, a bit of a new take. If you look at look over this list, we've got four Grease Fang Okiba boss. This is the legend out of Neon Dynasty that lets you bring a vehicle back from your graveyard at the start of combat every turn. And then they were running a bunch of ways to fill up the yard and then bring back their eight uh, vehicles. They've got four Eska's Chariot here and four Parhelion II. And then Rafine's Informant Connives, which lets you uh, dump stuff into the yard. We've got Seder Wayfinder that, that fulfills a similar purpose. Stitcher's Supplier. These are shades of techniques that we have seen in other uh, Abzan decks in the past. And then Can't Stay Away out of Midnight Hunt is a sorcery for white-black and then has flashback three white-black. Return target creature card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains if this creature would die. Exile it instead. And then, so that can bring back your Grease Fangs. It can also bring back a Seder Wayfinder or a Fiend's Informant, whatever you need. And then they've got four Thought Seas for a little bit of interaction. Four Witherbloom Command out of Strixhaven. Haven't seen a lot of this card. Black, green, sorcery, choose two. It's a modal card. Target player mills three cards, then you return a land card from your graveyard to your hand. Destroy target non-creature, non-land permanent with many value two or less. Target creature gets minus three, minus one until end of turn. Target opponent loses two life and you gain two life. So in this deck, in this format, I would imagine they do a lot of killing something like a ledger shredder. Uh, or a witch's oven. I imagine the, the main thing this does is it gives you a mill... And then it lets you kill the other player's turn one Witch's Oven because the black-red uh, sacrifice deck is all over the place. Actually, it wouldn't be... Ledger Shredder would be unlikely because you're not going to kill a Ledger Shredder with minus three, minus one. So you're right. right. It's uh, it's much more likely to target something like an oven. But what they're really trying to do with that is just mill the three cards and then get a land back for value and yeah. and, and set up a Grease Fang on the following turn. They've also got, also got four Grizzly Salvage fairly narrow very specific game plan here dump it dump it a, a great vehicle in the yard get it back and play go to town yeah uh i've i've been playing some pioneer on arena because the um black red explorer deck uh they popped up in the discord is some an easy way to get some gems in the events and they're not wrong it's a pretty strong deck but this is uh, a hard deck to beat for the Sacrifice deck because it's pretty straightforward um, the way that Grease Fang and Parhelion interact because Parhelion wants crew four. Grease Fang has exactly four power. So if you manage to Stitcher Supplier turn one, a Grease Fang and a Parhelion into your graveyard, then turn two, you're casting Can't Stay Away, Get Back Grease Fang, Parhelion's in play, and now you crew it, and you're attacking for uh, 13 on turn 2. Parhelion bounces back to your hand. Grease Fang's still in play, but you've got two angel tokens left behind. So it's a really difficult thing to beat, and Witherbloom is also really good. Oh no, it doesn't uh, kill tokens, because it has to be non-creature. Yeah, but yeah Witherbloom would be great for uh, killing the oven in the, the other deck that needs preying upon. We've got Burn in third place in that top eight, Blue-White Control in fourth. The Burn deck had two Chandra Dress to kill, notably, and then the Blue-White Control list is running four Narset, uh, Parter of Veils, four Big Teferi, and four the Wandering Emperor. Um, 
which has got a lot of overlap with the blue-white control list in modern, for sure. And then another interesting deck in, in fifth is the black-red sacrifice uh, list, which is not new to the format, but does have a bunch of different uh, permutations. And this is certainly one of them. Uh, this version of the list was running, let's see, the Cauldron yep. Familiar Witches Oven game plan, but they also have the Oni Cult Anvil Experimental Synthesizer game plan, and they get to do all of that running up into Mayhem Devil shenanigans. They've got two Claim the Firstborn and uh, four Deadly Disputes, so they can steal things from the opponent and then sack them for value. They've got Fable of the Mirror Breakers in here. It's just an all-around good card that plays right into the game plan. Of course, you'd love to double up on a Mayhem Devil at some point in the late game. Uh, Shrapnel Blast lets you sack artifacts for five damage, which is a card that is widely underestimated and can really just put a game away out of nowhere. And then they've got a whole bunch of utility lands. Dens of the Bugbear, Hive of the Eye Tyrant, Sokan... Sokanzen, Crucible of Defiance, um, and a Castle Lockthwain for a fairly balanced mana base. Yeah, this one is uh, swapping out some village rights and um, Obnixilis to play the Synthesizer, uh, Fable, and Oni Cult Anvil. I like Anvil. I'm, actually, I'm probably going to try this uh, the next time I'm goofing around on Arena with Explorer, but this is a, a fun list, and it looks like you can do some really disgusting things. Like, if you get Cat Oven going with an Oni Cult out, that's a free 1-1 one, one and some just... Once you've got a, a Construct, you just, you're just you tapping Oni Cult for a cycle through of things, a sacrifice trigger, and a, a drain of one. So it's just good all around, and I'm not surprised to see a way where this has gotten uh, a top 8 finish seen lots of human lists showing up in Pioneer lately. I think we were looking at Esper humans last week. This week it was mono-white humans in 6th, led by Adeline Resplendent Cathar, uh, big humans card out of Midnight Hunt, and then Brutal Cathar, and a bunch of the other humans that show up in standard humans. Uh, 32 creatures in total. 4 Brave the Elements and 2 Wedding Announcement, and their land base. Hard to argue with this, especially, like, this is a, a tough deck to be playing for Mutavault, but they've made it work, man. I like it. Luminarch Aspirant, card that was underestimated, did a lot of work in Standard, also doing work in Pioneer. That's pretty cool. And then if we look to finish this up, we've got another Black-Red Sacrifice in a more traditional configuration in 7th and Blue-Red Arclight Phoenix. That card's still, not, uh, still showing up in the format fairly regularly. Love it. Love everything about it. This one doesn't even have a uh, a companion going. It just knows exactly what it's going to do and is going to make uh, everybody sad while doing it. Two Temporal Trespass. Always fun to delve eight cards away in order to take your extra turn for three mana. <laughs> On over to Top Paper Movers of the Week, we start off with Dragon Lord Atarka out of Dragons of Tarkir going from 10 to $12. 20 just 20% gains, but one of those cards is going to edge up as Miriam sits atop the heap on EDH Rack uh, as the most popular commander of the last month. Uh, 
Atarka being a green-red legendary dragon that can do a lot of work as it hits the hits the battlefield and especially does more work when Miriam makes a token of it and gets you another ETB. Uh, not surprised to see this one a bit on the move. Yeah, remember, this is non-foils from Dragons of Tarkir. You know, that's from a while ago, but we haven't had any reprints of most of the Dragon Lords, although we did just get Silumgar, right? Uh, we didn't get all the Dragon Lords reprinted. I think that's correct. In, uh, yeah, in uh, Double Masters. Uh, wrong click. Yeah, um, Atarka has been on the list once, but that's not going to matter too much. Um, if you really want uh, foils, uh, there's going to be some out there, and I would expect some pressure on that too. So we've got Harold's Horn out of the Commander Legends uh, Battle for Baldur's Gate uh, commander decks going 750 to $10. This is alongside a relatively narrow set of printings. Harold's Horn was originally printed in Commander 2017 and has shown up in the Mystery Boosters and in Jumpstart. Uh, and so it's not never had a mainstream set release. That is correct, sadly. Really? There has not been a foil version of it yet either, uh, but it's coming in... Um... I have to look this up. It's going to be the Lunar New Year promo uh, later on this year. Gotcha. Uh, New Frontiers foils out of Odyssey. This card goes way, way back. Uh, going from 42 to 60. Strong EDH play. It's a single foil printing, uh, especially relevant in decks like um, Wind Grace that are Jund Lands Matters or something similar. Um, this thing can do a lot of work in those kind of decks, and this movement is really just about slow drying up over time. I'm not uh, not aware of any particular impetus lately, unless uh, Command Zone or somebody mentioned it. Maddening Hex uh, Extended Arts out of uh, Adventures of the Forgotten Realms Commander uh, decks, but really from the Collector Boosters um, of that set. Going from 22 to 32. That's actually a retreat back from 40 that we called last week. So you can see that like some of that gap filled in. And then it surged up higher again. Got down to 22. Bounced back to 32. Probably because whoever was targeting it decided to take off a bigger bite. Uh, I'm still not totally sold on this card. Just based on some legacy play. Yeah, it's a neat card. But if you're going for stuff based on uh, in-person legacy play, I feel like... That's super niche, and you can probably do more with your money. Zelix Sanity Flayer Foil Extended Arts out of... Uh, it's supposed to be CLB, but actually it only comes in the uh, two-card bonus packs that are present in the Commander Legends 2 Commander decks. Um, right. Because you and I have flagged that there are... Uh, this, that the Mythic Foil Extended Arts... Uh, of some of those cards are only found in those packs. And so there have been pro traders snapping off copies here and there as they pop up uh, in the market. And these got pushed on TCG player from 60 up till 90. Uh, it is a uh, Nagathrod card. Nagathrod card. I'll let you give that one a try. I'm okay. With very high inclusion rates in that deck. And I think that commander is... Number nine in the last month on EDH Rec. And if we look at the last week, he is... Uh, it looks like he's slipping. 
It was nine in the last month, but he's only 19 in the last week. The last week was Miriam and Erdragon back-to-back. Those are also the one and two for the month. Then Wilhelt, the Rock Cleaver, Lathril, Blade of the Elves, and Prosper Tonebound. The Those three sl- coming back to the forefront says that, to me that the horror deck doesn't have a lot of staying power. I'm uh, not a big believer in the specs that were related to that. Definitely didn't touch any of it. I know people got in and out relatively quickly on some copies of stuff, but I wouldn't want to want to have been deep on you know old foil horrors or whatever. Yeah, if you um, the the play is always to sell into the hype, and so if you have a commander that is causing all kinds of spikes and all kinds of cards, you need to jump on that and get rid of what you got. Uh, this is also just like uh, a supply play. There's there's hardly none of these. You have to open. Uh, I I didn't I don't think we have enough statistics on the two card packs yet, but you only get one for buying a commander a precon, correct? Correct. You have to buy one of the EDH decks for the set, and then you have a slim chance of pulling a specific mythic foil. So yeah, a, a lot of product needs to be open to find one, and and hence why there are very few posted online anywhere. Yeah. So uh, if you got it, sell it, uh, don't stress about it, and just move on to the next thing. Thespian Stage Foils out of Ultimate Masters, 14 to 21, 50% gains. Uh, That card uh, has been out of print for a little while now. Just seeing if there's a mystery booster print or anything of Thespian Stage lately that I've forgotten about. Uh, I don't think it was in uh, Double Masters 2, was it? De- uh, no, Double Masters won. And Double Masters yeah. uh, was two years ago, and the foils from the Double Masters printing are sitting at... I mean, regular 12. copy. Regular copies are under a dollar. Yeah. And those foils are, yeah, something like 12, with only 14 listings left. So likely to chase the UMA copies uh, up the hill a little bit. Then we've got Moss Diamond, the foils from 7th edition go from 40 to 65. That's just a low quantity price shift, I would imagine. Um, Moss Diamond. 7th edition foils, of course, are black-bordered and one of the most sought-after foil sets in the Magic Collecting world. So no huge surprise there. We've got Subtlety uh, foils out of MH2 going 13 to 30. I think they've retreated a bit since this uh, was put into the sheet. Um, but it's been seeing very heavy modern play recently and has been targeted. I've seen lots of people talk, talking about buying copies. I bought, a, I certainly bought some foil borderless versions about a, about a week ago. Uh, we've got Seed Time out of Judgment going from 10 to $24. Not sure which commander runs Seed Time enough that this would be relevant just lately. I guess the most... Well, most notable it's also like... just go ahead you know it, it's just a good card you know it's two mana to take an extra turn if an opponent played a blue spell like somebody else tried to brainstorm on your turn you're like oh by the way i'll pay two and i'm going to take an extra turn now maybe it was one of the cards that was mentioned on the underrated cards for command zone i'd have to go double check that uh, i know they i know they had a fairly popular episode recently that uh pushed a few things up Vizier of the Scorpion out of War of the Spark foils going from a dollar fifty to four dollars. Uh, that's a I can't remember if that's a common or an uncommon. It's an uncommon. And Vizier of the Scorpion. 
Uh, two and a black, one, one. You get an, a mass one trigger, and then zombie tokens you control have death touch. Just handy. I guess I guess that's that's probably on the move because Will Health is back in the top five build uh, commanders lately. Will Health. Will Health is uh, two blue, black, three, three zombie warrior. Uh, whenever another zombie you control dies, if it didn't have decayed, create a two, two black zombie creature token with decayed. At the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice a zombie if you do draw a card. Decayed zombies with death touch are super annoying because there's just no good reason to block them, so they tend to get in. Yeah. <laughs> and then you draw a card. It's great. Uh, Void Maw out of Cold Snap foils $2 to $30. And I'm, I mean, this is silly Nagathrod spec of the week, right? Like, Void Maw's not even particularly good in Nagathrod. And on EDH Rack, it's not even remotely one of the top cards that's being played in that deck. And the Gathrod is sliding down the rankings and probably won't be in the top 20 by the time we get some cool stuff out of Dominaria United. And so, good luck with your Void Maw foils. Yep, if you got them, sell them. Don't, uh, don't mess around. Just go ahead and get rid of it and don't feel bad at all. Um, yeah. Jumping on over to top Magic Online movers of the week. Tends to be a fairly tight and focused list related to competitive play most weeks, and this week is no exception. Graveyard Trespasser out of the Black Red Pioneer deck and Midnight Hunt, going from 16.82 ticks to 27.98. Graveyard Trespasser is a 26-ish US dollar card on Magic Online. Pretty impressive for a rare from last fall. Well, it it's seeing that much play. People want to play three mana, uh, three threes that ward to discard a card, and it has a whole bunch of fun um, exile stuff from graveyard triggers to deal with all the shenanigans that Pioneer has. It's also seeing it's also seeing well, it's also seeing plenty of standard play, not not really modern. Okay. Uh, similar to Chandra Torch of Defiance at a Kaladesh, 3.12 ticks to 5.47, 75% gains there. That's also going to be on the back of that Black Red Pioneer deck that, again, finished first in the Pioneer Challenge this weekend. Uh, and th those weren't regular challenges. They were both showcase challenges, so that's going to tend to move cardboard a little harder as people shift into a deck that they think is necessary to win. Uh, Witherbloom Command that was mentioned in the Abzan Greasefang deck uh, out of Strixhaven went 4.2 ticks to 7.91. That's pretty astonishing for that card as well, given that it's worthless in paper. And then Essica's Chariot out of Kaldheim going from two tickets to 4.68, 134% canes there. I'm trying to remember, was Essica's Chariot banned in standard? I don't think it was, but let me double check. Uh, let's see. Oh, no, it is. It's, oh, no, I'm looking at the. Um... The alchemy version of it. Yeah, I was, that's what I was thinking of, was that they, they, they nerfed it in alchemy. Yeah. No, it's totally legal. And um, honestly, uh, would you... like? It's from Kaldheim, so... Uh, no, it's about to rotate. Would you be uh, thinking about getting in on a few copies, or are you going to wait till after rotation happens? I feel like we may have called Eska's Chariot Showcase. Oh yeah, it's been a pick. On cast yeah. for sure to see how those are doing I, I i don't think that paper play has picked up to the pace that makes me super comfortable with pioneer slash standard specs 
60 listings left on Eska's Chariot Showcase Foils, $4 a piece. Not something I'm super excited about right at this particular moment. Yeah. On the other hand, over under cards to watch, my first selection of the week is Subtlety. Just regular old Subtlety from Modern Horizons 2. This uh, card has snuck up in the format. We were talking about this in the Discord last week, that for a certain period of time, I think we mentioned this on cast last week as well, Subtlety was kind of out of the modern format, wasn't being played hardly anywhere at all, and now it's top five creatures in all of modern, according to uh, MTG Goldfish, and that's behind only Ragavan, Fury, and Endurance. That means it's more popular than Murktide, which I think is the seventh most played creature. And you can currently get copies of this for about $9.50. There is still plenty of Modern Horizons 2 inventory in general lying around, but there's less of subtlety than there is of some other things uh, of equal rarity. And I have a feeling that within a year or so, these are going to go, say, $9.50 to $16 plus on the back of that strong modern play ck covers the card currently on buy list at eight dollars cash 1040 credit so if you're buying it at 950 you don't really have much to worry about as long as that holds true and there's even a modicum of uh edh play to back it up because it's in 3400 decks so far it's only one percent of blue decks but i still see some play and all of that together suggests to me that there's some decent money to be made here for the patient now um sometime in the last month or two on the discord somebody mentioned that um distributors were no longer getting uh modern horizons 2 is that track with what you've i mean they've got they, going on in your brain modern horizons 2 cbs as far as i know only had a single print run they pl- right. printed plenty of them and there is still some of that around in the distribution pipeline but there's no new print runs of it now, regular right. copies that would come out of, you know, the set booster boxes, draft, uh, booster boxes. draft booster boxes for MH2, the trailing deliveries from distributors to vendors have been ongoing through winter, spring, early summer. Right. And as far as we know, there was at least another delivery just recently. So it's fair to say that that inventory will start to dry up over the next three to six months. And that's why I think like 12 months out, as long as subtlety stays, you know, in the top 10 creatures in modern, it's in a pretty good position. Cause I know that, um, I've got my fair share of modern horizons Two stuff that I bought, uh, way too, uh, off the mark. And, uh, I'm really hoping that modern, that we're, we're done opening it on any kind of like, uh, regular scale, but there was always so much value in it that people were like, yeah, let's draft some modern horizons too. Let's keep that going. But this is, like you said, it's, it's backed by, um, a very good uh, card kingdom price, and uh, it's it's hard to miss when you're buying at nine fifty, and a buy list is already covering eight dollars of that. So your this, exposure is minimal here. So yeah, this is this is really solid. This also strikes me. I don't think there's any chance this card sees a reprint in the rest of twenty twenty two. There's n- there's nothing coming out where that would make any sense. Um, and it doesn't seem like a secret layer card. I don't think they would want to blow that equity there. And we know that there's like a Lord of the Rings set next year that's going to be modern legal. There's no way subtle to be in there. It's, you know, this this next year is the year off cycle. Like the master sets are kind of like every two years. You're going to get a double masters or you're going to get modern horizons or something like that. 
but this next cycle seems to be Lord of the Rings as Modern Horizons 3, so that means there's probably, you know, one to four years before we see Subtlety again, which would be very good for the card. Yeah, that would indeed be good. And it's funny how the counter or creature spell... No, it doesn't... Does it counter the creature, or does it just put on the top or bottom? Uh, I believe it puts it on the top or bottom. Okay. Because uh, it would uh, it'd be very amusing that um, the last one to get pricey would be uh, top or... Yeah, it goes to top or bottom, a creature or planeswalker spell. That This would be the last one to, to pop off expensively when we're all over all of the other cards. Well, I mean, Grief is, is easily in fifth position right now. After right. coming coming out of the gate hot and heavy and everybody assuming that the ephemerate grief combo was going to be oppressive, and it just wasn't. Uh, it feels like it should be, but surprisingly it isn't. Yeah, that, that's true. All right, All right, I like it. How about your first selection this week? All right, my first selection this week is I am telling people it is a good time to buy the sealed Mirrodin Sanity Secret Lair in foil. Uh, You can pick it up on TCG Sealed for around $49. Um, There's a few copies of that. And individually, the cards add up to $10 more than that. Um, The the big winner is, of course, Seat of the Synod at $21. But Darksteel Citadel, the note you are definitely getting one of those in there, is $12 in the Mirrored Insanity foil version. Then you got Great Furnace... uh, uh, 10, uh, Vault of Whispers at uh, 6, and then Tree of Tales is, as always, leading up the rear. But if you add it up, uh, you are getting a better value on the sealed than the singles, which is unusual for the secret layers, and it's like $10 difference. So that can really uh, make it easier for you to pick up a few of these now and uh, just be patient on selling them until they hit 75 or so. I think that's uh, eventually going to happen without a lot of difficulty. Um, you know, I've got a few of these uh, that I ordered when they were uh, available on the Secret Lair, and I'm, I'm happy to tell people you can get in on this even if you didn't buy the Secret Lair at the time. You can still get it and still have a pretty good profit margin uh, looking at how the singles are moving just by themselves. And somebody who is like primarily a modern player might look at this and be like, but why would I want those? They're banned. Yeah, surprisingly not in EDH, where it really feels like they're even more easily abused, and yet somehow are legal. So to the point where they're actually fairly major staples, like Great Furnace is in 46,000 decks, that's 7% of, of all red decks. Uh, Seat of the Synod is about 44,000, Ancient Dens in 40,000, Vault of Whispers, Whispers is in 24,000. Like you have the full set in your Brea deck, right? Mm, oh yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Well, the four that you can have. You can't have Tree of Tales, which is why its price is so much lower. Yeah, and if you're in any... I mean, I I also run the relevant uh, versions in Corvold, because I have ways of Goblin Engineers and other ways of sacking artifacts in that deck um, and recursing artifacts, and they they come in handy there as well. So, yeah, this looks like a a, a good one, because it was $40 for the foil set, when it first came out, right? Right. And if you waited a year, now you have to pay 50 ish for them? Correct. Yep. So 
was your $40 likely to make you 25% over the course of the year if you're good at MTG Finance? Yeah, probably. So didn't actually cost you any more than it would have a year ago, given that you couldn't couldn't sell it at this price point at the time. Uh, this looks pretty solid. We're down to 34 listings. There are some walls, but none of them are super major. And again, there's a pretty steep curve, and there's no way to replace these once they dry up. Yep, that's my thinking. I think that's pretty solid. Um, I'm looking at Blight Step Pathway out of Caldheim. And this one's a little tricky because there are foil borderless copies from the set. There are foil borderless copies from the secret layer. There are borderless copies from the set. There are foil regular copies from the set. There are pre-release copies from the set. So it's not like there's not Blight Step Pathways sitting around. You can currently get these for about $7. So why do I like this? Well, if I'm looking over the situation for Cal time, and I'm looking at the best-selling cards on TCG Player, Blightstep is fourth after Goldspan Dragon, Borenklex, Monstrous Raider, Hengegate Pathway. And I suspect that best-selling on TCG Player is a multiplier of copy sold times price, which is what puts Goldspan and Borenklex above Hengegate and Blightstep. But... If you look at Goldspan, there's 187 listings. If you look at Hengegate Pathway, there's 203 listings. If you look at Toski, Bearer of Secrets, pretty big EDH card, uh, 228 listings. But Blightstep, regular copies, are down to 133 listings. That's still a pretty sizable chunk, but it's way below the others. And it suggests to me that people are getting the lands together for the black-red uh, mid-range deck in Pioneer in real life in paper. Now, there's, there's a couple problems here. The gaming company opened a ton of Cal Time at one point, and they have 276 copies available at $6.93. <laughs> so of anything I have mentioned on CAS in the last six months, that has got to be the biggest wall. Um, so I think the safest thing to say about this is if you are pulling the deck together, now is probably a good time to go ahead and snap these off. I don't think they're going to get any cheaper. If you look at the the price trends for the foils and non-foils from the main set, the non-foils got down to about $4 and have since drifted up to 7 and the foils followed a fairly similar path, which is typical of the, the Collector Booster era. Um, but there's only 60 listings total. So, and they tend to get bought four at a time for that deck. And if you look at the latest sales, they do move pretty constantly. Am I in a rush to pick, go super deep on these? Not with that big wall sitting there. And I also want to see <laughs> how things play out with the various pandemics this fall to see how much paper play is actually going to get played the next year. But Blightstep Pathway has decent backing over at Card Kingdom, as is, I think they they offer about 70% of street price, which is pretty typical for a, a relatively easy-to-find staple. It's like $3.80 cash, $5 credit. So if you get in at 7 and you had to exit, you're not, you're not going to lose that much. Can't lose your shirt on it, really. And the black-red deck has looked very resilient in Pioneer. Like, I don't know what, what turns the corner and knocks it out of the way. It feels like no matter what comes into that format, they're going to get good cards at the same time as whatever else comes into the format gets good cards. Um, so, Blightstep Pathway, what do you think? 
I think that right now, Pioneer's mana bases, looking at the, the different decks, they're all pretty solidly on the Pathway, Shockland, um, uh, Slowland plan, the, the um, Innistrad lands that we got the whole cycle of uh, printed twice, uh, one in regular, one in double feature. And um, given that uh, the Pathways have the Secret Lair going on, and that's it for extra copies, so, like, we're not going to get a secret layer of pathways coming along to mess with the pathways because we already got it. So, I think this is a solid pickup to go 7 to 12 as you've put on the sheet because Haunted Ridge is pretty solidly in that 11, 12, 13 range and Blood Crypt is going to forever be, like, around 8 to $10.00. So feeling like this is the third pillar of it, and especially like getting your copies cheap if you are thinking about playing Pioneer in person, uh, that I'm I'm with you on that too. I wasn't, I gotta admit, I was a little uh, skeptical of this, especially like when I looked it up and saw the gaming company's wall. But you know the velocity is there, the timing seems right, and I the, yes, I am with you on this pick. This is solid. So. In the top 10 lands most commonly played in Pioneer, there's only one duel, and that is Blood Crypt. Steam Vents is at 12, Blightstep Pathway is at 14. So they're of the top three dual lands, Blightstep is third, after Steam Vents and Blood Crypt. Now, I like this pick a lot more if you have access to big events. This feels like the kind of card that you could unload into some of the big Pioneer uh, competitive events that are coming up this year. Um... If you're on the floor at a GP-esque equivalent tournament, Blight Steps could be very hot items. I like it less if you're leaning on the CK buy list to catch up to where you want it to be, because that could take longer. That'll definitely take longer, yeah. Um, so I would keep that in mind. I think it's I think it's conditional on how you plan to sell them. If you're going to sell on TCG Direct, for instance, versus eBay, I think you're in a better position as well. Uh, so, well, I'll asterisk that one on sheet so it's just not it's not a blanket recommendation <laughs> and your next pick sir my other pick this week is uh pretty straightforward it's demonic tutor um you can get a copy from the list ultimate masters the mythic archive the dual deck or revised they're all in about the 40 dollar range uh, after the number of copies that came out during the Mystic Archive. Um, I'm not talking about like going for premium versions. I'm talking about the most basic ones. But all of them were up at around $65 when, the, uh, when Demonic Tutor was reprinted in the Mystical Archive. And they're all down to around 40 And I feel like this is uh, easy mode on you should go definitely get whatever copies you need for your personal decks right now. And you should uh, get a couple of extras to move when they get back up into the $65, $70 range. Because it, it always rebounds. This is just too good. It is the, the gold standard of tutoring. And, uh, you know, and whenever we can make things really easy for listeners, I like doing that. If you're feeling um, fancy 
you can look on uh, TCG and they have some revised near mint copies from sellers with very low ratings uh, in the $33 range if you really um, feel good about your ability to spot a counterfeit I think that would be the biggest risk you're facing especially for the revised versions but uh, considering that the all the versions have come down from where they were at the time of the Mystic Archive now is the time to go ahead and pick up your copy. It's been a year and change since Strixhaven. It, it's time. The, the price has fallen far enough. Like Subtlety, there's nowhere for them to print this that we know of. It can show up in the list. But... It's already been on the list. Right, but I mean, it can show up in the list again if it's not already there. Uh, but it can't really be anywhere else. This is not doesn't seem like a secret layer card is too expensive it isn't going to be in uh the lord of the Rings set in q1 q2 next year because that's going to be modern legal and they're not going to make demonic tutor modern legal so this seems safe for a little while and i think you're right that it's probably going to edge up um the fact that there are both UMA and Strixhaven copies around the $40 mark and the Strixhaven one has 175 listings means it's probably going to be a slow and steady gainer as opposed to something that's going to jump up hard and it's going to do that step up routine for as long as you dodge a reprint so if that reprint comes in six months you might not have time to get out if it comes in three years you probably will well, I mean, you're right, but if you look at the sold listings for probably the ugliest version is the regular Mystic Archive, like you're looking at, um, you know, 20 copies just moved on the 25th, and then you're looking at uh, about 10 on the 24th. Like it's moving a lot of copies, and so I'm not, I'm aware of the volume that's out there, but I'm I'm also convinced of the velocity that's involved, so... Keep in mind, we also have to consider etched copies, which wouldn't show up in the normal search. Right. There's a, well, there's a lot of versions to check of Demonic Tutor. So, like, there's a whole lot out there. I'm not disagreeing with you on that, but this is as staple as it gets. It's in something like 200,000 Commander decks online, and that's just the people who bother to list it. That doesn't even count everybody who has one in a random deck. Interestingly, the foil etch copies from Strixhaven are down to 28 listings, no major walls, and they start at 55. So yeah. that, that doesn't compete directly with the $40 copies. So uh, that's that's where I'm at. If you've got if you haven't gotten the demonic tutors that you want for your decks, now's your chance. All right, here's another one with some good conversation points: Smothering Tithe Judge Foil. This is interesting because we just got Smothering Tithe in multiple versions, Borderless and Regular, out of Double Masters 2022. And at the same time, we're in a six-month slot where Smothering Tithe Judge Foils are going to be floating around. They currently go for $90 to $100 or so in the U.S., but given where things are at with the Euro, you can pick these up for $70 to $75 over in Europe. So that's the call. Um, my basis here is that even though you can get the foil borderless smothering tithes for less than this, judge foils tend to do well just from the backing of people that A, collect judge foils, and B, their absolute rarity. 
because a lot of the stuff just slides into judge collections and never gets sold. The judges that need the money will dump them into the open market, but they don't get most judges have one copy. Higher level judges sometimes will have more, but they're not known for most of them are not known for dumping multiple copies at once because they're supposed to be handing them out. And I would compare this to something like the Ristic study uh, judge foils that are currently at 190 that I was picking up $70 copies of in Europe around the same time when they first came out. And I've made plenty of money on those. So I don't think I would go full tilt at these at 70 because they might slide even further. The euro might slide even further against the dollar and make for an even better deal. Um, this is early in the distribution of the smothering time, so a further wave could... Uh, you know, knock these down as, as low as 55 or 60 euros, maybe a little ways down the road. But I'm willing to nibble a few, on a few now and then just track them over time and see if I want a dollar cost average. I think your last point is where I'm at. I don't like, I especially have to like be cautious of uh, the judge foil so recently after it came out. Um, it's not like they only do one way. There is probably more in the pipeline, but at the same time, like, that's really hard to argue with, with the, the, the exchange rate being what it is. I, I think like a couple of copies would be very, uh, defensible and I wouldn't, uh, stop anybody from doing that. I, I agree that moving in heavy on them is not where I want to be until they, they have a chance to like all saturate the market. I agree with you that the judge version will probably be more expensive than the, um, than the borderless foils, but there's also an issue of like the borderless foils, like they look cool, man. And these judge foils, they, they have just the regular frame. And if you can get like, they, they have really similar art, but you're getting um, a lot going on for that that judge look to it. I think, would I? I think I would, actually. I would get in on a couple of copies in Europe if I had the connection, and I, I think your philosophy of don't go too deep yet, let it uh, simmer and set a little bit, and then you're you're probably good to go in another... A couple of months, but I'm definitely staying away from the uh, borderless foils for uh, Double Masters too. Still, so yeah, that's can... the thing. That's the thing. I I think the borderless foils are better looking overall. That's the version I would play with. So I don't look at this as this is the best version in the market. It's just the fact that Judge foils have a supply advantage, and the Smothering Tide borderless. You know, if I'm picking the copy for my decks, it's probably going to be German foil borderless Smothering Tides. Because there's no German CBs for Double Masters 2022. So the rare stuff in the borderless foils that's German is especially rare. Well, you're going to be the, the bell of the ball with some very niche collectors on stuff like that. They're going to be like, how did you get this? I bought it in Europe because they put yeah. it for sale. It's also um, worth mentioning that like it it's also heavily dependent on what your... Um, shipping costs would be from Europe because sometimes that can that can be kind of brutal. So um, true, but that's all that's all cheaper too, given, right? Given the dollar exchange rate, and the presumption usually in Europe is that you're going to put together a relatively sizable yeah, card. I usually recommend package. 
I usually recommend spending 500 to 1,000 in Europe or Japan to make it worth your while. Yeah, I'm with you. I see what you're saying. All right, so let's move along here to weekly topics. Last week we said that there was rumors floating around that that some reserve list cards were going to get dumped into Dominaria United boxes. And it turns out it's not sheets that Wizards is cutting up and putting in. It was, according to them, a where a lost warehouse full of Legends boxes. Now, let's sidestep on this for a second. Because <laughs> some of this seemed very odd to me. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist on this topic at all. But I'm not clear on the detail. Um, if this is a warehouse that Wizards um, has a relationship with, that for years and years and years they have stored product there, perhaps it is a waypoint between uh, their manufacturing facility and dis distributors. And somewhere at the very back of this warehouse, they found Legends boxes. I could buy that. If they are arguing that there's, this is a warehouse they used to use for s similar purposes and the warehouse was shutting down and they were contacted to be made aware that there was stuff with their name on it that they supposedly owned, okay. But outside of those two scenarios, I don't really get how this went down. Are you like... Well, because if it, uh... was, a, if it was a private operation... A distributor or um, you know just a third-party warehousing place and they found a bunch of inventory doesn't seem like they would have had any reason to flag it to wizards and if wizards was saying that they were looking for looking around the market to buy legends boxes because they wanted to do this then they would have contacted the usual suspects and tried to get enough product together to, to make it work the fact that it just so happens to be that they found about exactly the amount that they needed to fill these packs is a little weird. Some would say suspicious. Because like what like to find something like that, how how serendipitous is it that it's like the amount that you need? Well because we because we ran the numbers in the Discord, right? We've just done rough calculations so far. But if they found a, about a hundred boxes that's about how much you need to fuel putting them in collector booster boxes based on how many millions of dollars of product we think they put out for a standard set vis-a-vis -vis the collector booster program. I've always figured it's somewhere in the, like the 20 to $40 million range. And about 100 boxes of Legends at the drop rate that they listed is about, you know, it, it fits well. And if it had been... A lot higher or a lot lower it wouldn't have worked either you would you would have too high of a drop rate which would make the packs unbelievably expensive in the open market or it would be too low of a drop rate in which in which case nobody cares anymore i think you're overthinking this pretty hard is it outside your um, expectations that they have um ever since the beginning that they kept a certain number of boxes back Oh, I, no, that was my original assumption, that this was just coming out of, quote-unquote, the vault. This is just product that yeah. Wizards always owned. But that's not how they positioned it on stream. On, on, stream, on, on stream, they said that there was a warehouse somewhere and that it mysteriously no. had boxes, and that no, just doesn't make that's, a lot of sense. 
that's just that's just marketing silliness. They had this just sitting around. They have a whole bunch of sealed products sitting around, and uh, I don't know how much they have. I don't have any insider information or anything like that. But I think that you know your your initial read is is accurate that they just had this because they kept a certain amount of product from each of the runs, and they don't have a good way to you know, get rid of it short of like causing a, a collapse in the market. So, you know, they just decided that they would keep it until the time they needed it. And um, we will really test this theory if um, the Brothers War has a bunch of Lost Antiquities packs. Yeah, because if it had a bunch of Antiquities packs, are they saying it came out of the same warehouse? <laughs> or can we all just admit that there's that the warehouse is the vault? Like, it's where they... Every time it they makes for a product. better story. Come on, I, does like it I though? That that's the thing that I think is weird about it, is that if I was marketing it, I think talking up the vault is really cool. Like if if if, if it was me, I'd be I'd be like dun, 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 dun. Gavin like comes out of the vault and like smoke billows. Like I think you can work the vault angle to great effect. I think so too. I mean, like if can you imagine like. Um, if they said like, we we're taking the next, uh, pro tour champion and we're bringing them to the vault to show them like all the cool stuff that we have kept from the years of magic. You're like, I want to see that video. That's the first wi official wizards video that I've been like hyped for in 10 years. So I agree that they should go with the vault, but I also think that like they need to, like, there are a lot of people who clamor for dumb things online and saying that they quote unquote found the perfect amount of product um saves them from having to answer questions about like how much did you keep back of each product you know how much do you have in reserve if you needed to liquidate and raise money how much could you make like this this avoids all those questions this I mean, is like that, oh we found this so we're just gonna throw it into packs and you guys have fun but everybody's super suspicious of it anyway. Like I don't think they. Of really, course, I, everybody's I, I, super I, suspicious. I don't really think they they saved any egg on face there. And the the fact is, we know that there is a vault. I've heard many employees or people tangential to the company talk about it over the years. I know that Wizards employees regularly get cool old product as like Christmas bonuses and stuff, like the little gifts for for major milestones inside the company, because at least two separate people related to the company have asked my opinion on how what when where to sell specific things like it was like a revised starter deck i was talking to somebody about not long ago and a legends booster pack that somebody said wizards gave them at such such an event so doesn't seem all that crazy right that that there is a larger no. vault and it makes it just makes sense like if i was running this a company that created collectibles there would always be some percentage of the print run held back for the archive exactly um, so, anyway, bottom line, there's a thousand boxes of Legends. But what makes this extra interesting is that the Legends print run essentially is a split print run. There are two kinds of boxes of Legends. Box A and Box B. And Box A has some percentage of the total print uh, set in it, but can never have these other cards that are on the set list but just don't show up in those boxes and vice versa so you can get some of the cards are in both boxes and some cards can only be found in one or the other 
And so all of the boxes that they had are from, I don't know if it's A or B, but as a result, they can't put some of the key cards from the set into packs because they simply did not show up in the boxes that they cracked. And, and, to, fur and to further the point, there's also some problematic artists involved, like the artist that did in, uh, Invoke Prejudice, which is a super racist-looking old magic card. And, oh my god, that's such an understatement. And that guy happens to also be the artist for the original Sylvan Library, and I believe Nether Void, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, Let's see. Yes. So all of the Sylvan Libraries and Nether Voids that people would like to get their hands on are not going to be made available in these packs because Wizards has disavowed this guy. And we are now... And, him having been associated with those cards, Harold McNeil is the artist's name, uh, means you're not getting any $700 Nether Voids, and you're not getting any two or $300 Sylvans. <laughs> so that sucks. Sucks in the sense, not that we can't get Harold McNeil cards, but that we can't get the original printings of some awesome cards that we would love to not be Harold McNeil cards. <laughs> like, we, we really have some notable exclusions here, and it's... Um... It's speaking volumes not just to who they decided to not reprint art from, but also, like, how uneven this legend stuff was. Like, um, I know that in my magic career, I did see um, the Feeding Frenzy when somebody opened a revised starter, and instead of lands, there were rares. And I was at the store where this was happening, and the guy immediately ran up and bought all the rest of the starters. And then left because we were all just like dogpiling the guy like open it let's see what's in there so like they've had known um issues with this for the longest time um the notable leave out from that particular part of things is mana drain we're not getting any original legends art mana drains entering the market and we're not and getting the other one is land tax yeah so we're we're missing out on some really iconic cards due to this. Um, it bums me out that we don't get any like presence of the master, like with some Einstein art. Thank you, Phil Fogelio. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, it's it's going to it's not all of Legends. We're we're lucky that we're getting uh, Tabernacle in here and Moat and the Elder Dragons, but a lot of the you know expected cards are, are not going to be in there yeah some of the best stuff there's like you also can't get underworld dreams original yep. printing uh and basically almost all of the mana batteries if not all of the mana batteries are missing oh it looks like you can get only black mana battery <laughs> if i'm not mistaken so you can get you can still pull tabernacle you can pull chains of mistopheles you can pull moat you can pull all hallows eve i think Eureka. All Hallows Eve is evil, yeah. Yeah, Eureka, Mirror Universe, uh, Living Plane, Angus McKenzie, Nicol Bolas, Gwendolyn DeCourcy, Rasputin, Dreamweaver, Concordant Crossroads. Concordant is legal, yeah. That's that's most of the, the majors. There's also, I guess, In the Eye of Chaos, which I think is on the list. Just double check. There's a surprising number of... Um, yeah, it is of legends cards that are uh unexpectedly expensive 
So the bottom line on where you're getting these is not the entirety of the Dominaria United. They are wisely putting these only in the collector boosters, and this coincides with an 11% increase in the uh, distributor cost for these collector boosters, uh, and really for magic just across the board. And so makes sense that they're going with a, a pretty gimmicky uh, bullet in the chamber to accompany a price increase. Now, does it make sense to chase Dominaria United packs if you want these Legends cards? No, not really. No. Not at a 3% drop rate when you can pull a Kobold. Um, as people have noted on social media, you should just go out and buy. <laughs> what on the, on the assumption that this is an injection into the market of a bunch of near mint or mint copies, um, because unlike our conversation last week where we, we theorized that maybe they were cutting sheets they had in the vault, them coming out of packs means you're going to get some pretty nice condition copies. So I would imagine that selling, you know, graded sixes and sevens is going to be pretty tough on these cards for the next couple of years. Um, there's not a tremendous amount of new copies coming into the market, but the people that are interested in a pack fresh copy will certainly be on the lookout for the copies coming out of these booster packs. You know, um, we we noted in the Discord too that one of the the big things that it, this means is um, hold on I'm trying to look if this particular card is on the either one of the I'm not printed lists no uh, Thunder Spirit is in there um, we noted in the Discord that if you're adding these uh, that means that they will not be able to make more collector boosters of uh, Dominary United. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it reinforces that they never have. As far as I'm concerned, collector boosters have never gotten a second print run for any set. So the this seems to reinforce that that is, in fact, true, because unless they were to do... Unless they did, what, uh, did with this what they did with Zendikar, uh, original Zendikar, Priceless Treasures, where there was a... Def definitive period where the first wave had the priceless treasures like you could get a black lotus or whatever and they had bought those cards in the open market and seeded them into packs um and later that was not true like past a certain point you couldn't you could buy a zendikar pack but it had no chance of having them um i don't think they're, they're likely to do that here and it seems to underscore that cbs are one and done yeah, uh, it seems much less likely that they would print a second run of these and be like, by the way, this thing that's goosing the expected value of the booster packs, we're not going to add to the second batch of booster packs. It would just be uh, much less valuable and much harder to sell. So th that seems pretty unlikely. I will say this, though. This is kind of like if Kaladesh had had collector boosters. And would you want to be holding those long term? Yeah, you're probably going to want to be holding the standard set collector boosters that might have a tabernacle in them. Hmm. Like, there's no it's... way that doesn't outpace actual EV at some point. Right, because um, the the way that uh, packs get priced, it's um, less than, like, the three or four most expensive cards, like revised booster packs, if they're, if you believe when somebody who says they're unsearched. They're like more valuable than everything but the duels. Oh yeah, so, yeah. Like like a revised starter could be fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars these days or whatever, and there's your odds of getting that much value out of it are extremely low. 
and after these you know the collector boosters start to dry up for this set there's no way they don't go up because they have a tremendous like which one do you want at the same price you want Kaldheim or you want Dominaria United it's kind of a no-brainer right yeah because both of them are going to have low EV in the long term but only one of them has the $3,000 upside (laughs) (laughs) um the number of copies being so we we figured it's around a hundred boxes, right? Yeah. So out of a hundred boxes, um, knowing that um, everything in Legends was like they didn't that was still the time when they didn't have rare as a rarity, correct? Was it was it no still rare like exists? Uncom- rare, no rare exists in Legends. I think okay. it's just, there's just no mythics, if I'm not mistaken. No, there's definitely no mythics. I just wasn't sure if it was in the time where uh, everything was like uncommon one, uncommon two kind of silliness. Yeah, there was never a, there was that was for specific sets. If I'm not mistaken, Homelands is like that. I think Homelands. Yeah, has. I think um, Fallen Empire. No, no Fallen like Empire has no rares. Yeah, um, but yes, Legends has rares. All right, so so that's cool. There were some other announcements that got dropped all at the same time on stream they announced some uh store championship promos a cool looking spell pierce a gilded goose and a full art omnath locus of creation <laughs> textless because what's better than a cryptic command textless omnath <laughs> locus of creation good luck remembering your triggers that's crazy i i don't I don't know why they thought that, but again, like Omnath is a relatively popular creature, so I can see why they would want to choose a creature that's seeing a lot of play to bring back the fully textless frame, which I have missed. I love a fully textless frame, so you know, yay! <laughs> I also, just I wouldn't want to play with it or against it. They also showed off a, I think finally a good Jaya card. Jaya Ballard's been a character in Magic from way back in the day. Only in recent years has she been getting cards. And it looks like they finally got serious about giving us a good one. We've got Jaya Fiery Negotiator. Two red red, four loyalty. Plus one, create a one one red monk creature token with prowess. That's pretty solid for a plus one. You're getting a potentially in the right deck a two two creature every turn for positive loyalty. That's solid minus one exile the top two cards of your library choose one of them you can play that card this turn <laughs> also solid minus two choose target creature and opponent controls whenever you attack this turn jaya fiery negotiator deals damage equal to the number of attacking creatures to that creature boom so choose their blocker and get it out of the way and it's easier to get rid of their biggest blocker if you're attacking with a lot of stuff Seems good. And then minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever you cast a red instant or sorcery spell, copy it twice. <laughs> you may choose new targets for the copy. There's plenty of blue-red copy spell shenanigans that this slides right into. This will see plenty of standard play, could see play in Pioneer. You know, they gave us, um, you know, the preview versions of... They gave us three of the updated legends to play with uh jaya is a really good card uh, we got a new two mana um elf who taps for any color or turns a um land into a three three with haste 
like elves needed more acceleration and fun things to do with land. We got uh, the Shivan Devastator, which might go right into these aggressive red decks at X Red, Flying Haste, Dragon Hydra. That's right, it comes into play with X11 counters. So just um, everything you like about a, a dragon plus a hydra, it's there. The only line of text that's really missing is this spell can't be countered for a mythic. I don't know about this card. Like, it scales well, and it's the best X plus one hydra we've seen, probably. But on five mana in standard, it's a 4-4 four, four flying haste. Earlier than that, it's pretty underwhelming. Later in the game, it's just bigger. Eh, I don't know. What was the um, the green one that had, like, can't be countered and pro blue uh, for X and a green and haste? Miss Cutter Hydra, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that one I don't think ever really had a chance to get expensive. So No. If, if that one, yeah, that's still a, a dollar right now. And foils are only five for a Theros rare. So yeah, can't be countered haste pro blue, and it had the same text. So this one's just flying in haste, and it's a much harder like I can't put this in my Zaxara deck, the um, the Dragon Hydra because it's red. Sad. They showed it, off the basic lands for the set. They are stained glass. They are stunning. Uh, never but, a shortage of cool lands, man. Yeah, never a shortage of cool lands. But these are great. Like I'll definitely use these somewhere. Uh, in foil, they're gonna look amazing. Yeah, I uh, think if I was at a GP or something and they had a giant version of one of these, I would probably work a little harder to go for a giant stained glass uh, Magali Villanueva uh, island. They also revealed Legends Retold Box Toppers. So they take these old legends from Dominaria, and specifically from Legends, I guess. No, it's all legend, 19 legendary creatures and one planeswalker. Each a new design inspired by a legendary creature found in the original Legend set. So, for instance, you can't get uh, Ramirez Di Pietro's original card because of the collation issues, but you can get Ramirez Di Pietro Pillager as a box topper. Two blue, black, four, three, human pirate. When it enters the battlefield, you lose two life and create two treasure tokens. That's good. And whenever one or more pirates you control deals combat damage to a player, exile the top card of that player's library, you may cast that card for as long as it remains exiled. Um, this seems solid in five-color changelings, to be honest. <laughs> because you need you need the treasure tokens there and everything's a pirate. I dig it. Uh, we got um, a version of this for Jasmine Boreal. Um, you can cast creature spells with no ability she gives you two mana to cast creatures with no abilities and your no ability creatures uh can't be blocked by creatures with abilities and uh i would have to go deep diving on edh rec to find like the most popular creatures that have no text well this doesn't say non-tokens in the second part right so she can't cast right. she can't cast token spells but uh, I like this in something like Jetmere or um, Ginny, Ginny Faye, because yeah. your tokens can't be blocked. Uh, that seems cool. And then we got uh, Tor Wauki the Younger, uh, three red black for a 3-3 three, three human archer with reach and lifelink. 
if a source you control would deal non-combat damage to a permanent or player, it deals that much damage plus one. And whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, he deals two damage to any target. Uh, so he doesn't count himself for uh, adding a damage. It says another source you control. But you're still getting both the um, spells matter bonus of dealing two damage uh, every time. You're getting the, um, the gutter snipe trigger. But you're also getting the uh, bonus damage on everything, like making grape shot ridiculously amazing. You know, all all the the fun things you can do with that. Um, also fun with stuff like pestilence. You know, you you pick your uh, deal a little bit of damage, and now it's a lot of damage card, and, and go to town. They also showed off the Dominary United Commander decks. There will be two of them, as has been standard standard practice uh, for most of the standard sets lately. Legends Legacy will be a red-white-black deck with Dahada, uh, a character from way back in the day that people are a little excited about. And then Painbow will be a rare five-color EDH uh, pre-con with Jared Carthalian as the leader. These are characters out of the Ice Age portion of Dominaria's history. Yeah. Um, I don't even know where to start with something like this. Like, we started uh, talking, what would you we started talking yeah, a little ahead. bit in the Discord about which uh, lands would could be placed in Painbow uh, to support, and one of the questions was whether they will cough up the um, the World Tree and really cut that spec off at the knees. That would sting because that because that's been stalled for a while and needs some time to mature. Uh, overall, Dominar United looks looking pretty good. They also uh, confirmed that Unfinity, uh, the unset that was supposed to come out this spring, has a release date, is October 9th, 2022. So about a month after Dominar United comes out, we get the Unfinity set. That's mostly going to be important for the like handful of cards that will be EDH playable without acorn symbols on them. The, the new silver border and then brothers war a month after that so it's going to be a busy fall uh the other thing they mentioned was that um what they're going to do is the next eight upcoming pre-release week uh, event weekends are adding uh new promos for pre-releases the first three uh available with uh, dominar united will be Sarah Angel, Ball Lightning, and uh, Findhorn Elfin. Uh, it's a reprint chosen from and releasing in chronological order by the year it was first printed. So they're going to uh, give us a card from each year. And uh, some many of these promo cards will be in English only. Seven will only be available in another language where magic is available. The first being Findhorn Elves uh, from in German for some reason that I don't recall back at the time. Gotcha. Yeah, these these look cool. It'll be a bigger deal when they when one of them is a more important card. It's why people were making fun of the Finhorn Elf selection because it was what they chose to represent that year in FTV 20 as well at the 20 year anniversary. Oh yeah, I forgot about FTV 20. Wow, that was 10 years ago? <laughs> it's funny how that works. It, it, uh, it is. All right, so I guess that's uh, that's a wrap for this week. Where can people find you online, Cliff? Uh, you can find me online at Word of Commander on Twitter, as well as my Friday articles on mtgprice.com. 
You guys can find me on Twitter at MTGCritic, as well as via my occasional articles at MTGPrice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5, that's FINANCE with the number 5 at the end, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Oh, that was a lot to get through today, James, and we haven't even gotten to Heavy Duty preview season yet. A uh, busy week, and it's going to be busy all the way through the month as we unveil the rest of Dominaria United. Thank you, Cliff, and we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.